about you, listeners. Welcome to Ernest Goes to Podcast, the podcast that seeks to uncover the hidden, or perhaps not so hidden, depths of beloved American icon Ernest P. Worrell, as portrayed by the late, great Jim Varney. This is episode two, Ernest Goes to Camp. Some would say this is a pointless endeavor. Some would say, Aaron, why are you doing this? Your children are hungry. Come home. I have no children. This podcast is my baby. I am your host, Aaron, and this is my lovely co-host, David. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I'm David. And joining us is our very first guest on Ernest Goes to Podcast. Oh, we have guests now? Oh, yes, Dave. Our near and dear friend, Dan. Hi, everyone. Hi, Dan. How's things? Now I know you're all thinking, what? Guests? I love Aaron and David. I've become extremely attached to them in the one hour I've heard of them. Mm. Why do we need other people? Well, you see, I think, Dave, often we're on the same wavelength. And I think this podcast would get a bit repetitive if we didn't have, say, a fresh eye come in, maybe one that's not such a huge, earnest enthusiast. Sure. To offer some new points and ask questions that we have perhaps stopped asking ourselves. Right. I think one of the things that made us sort of fall in love with Ernest as a character was the confusion the that he... Absolutely. And to recapture that, we have brought Dan in here, who is a, a fellow artist and animator and friend. Welcome, Dan. Thanks. I do have a lot of questions about <laughs> I, We're so glad. I didn't really grow up watching too many of Ernest. I mean, I, reckon, I remember the films, but... These are fresh eyes watching this movie. Awesome. Excellent. Ernest Goes to Camp, which was Ernest's first foray into the theaters of America. Yes, this is uh, after Ernest was discovered at an Indy 500. Wait, what? Oh, yes. What, like he was driving a car? or? Yeah, yeah. I'm really confused <laughs> right now. They had like a little character parade at an Indy 500. Really? I'm assuming this was in like the mid 80s or yes. so? Yes. So you and said Ernest was dis like they discovered Ernest. Who's they? Jeffrey Katzenberg and Michael Eisner. Ah, noted car racing fans. <laughs> well, noted Disney associates. Ah, that too. Producers. Yeah. Yeah, big, big, big wigs. Gigantic wigs on the heads. And they saw Ernest and were like, who's that guy? Because Ernest got a, a much, I think, more enthusiastic reception than the Mickey float, probably. Interesting. I mean, this is, again, kind of like the thing from last episode where we were talking about the Hollywood producer seeing Ernest and being like, that's He's the man perfect. I want. I want to talk to his people. Uh, and they did, I'm assuming. And I'm so glad, Dave, because I think the Disney Four are wonderful. Now, what are the Disney Four? Is that's that like what the I kind men? Of, that's what I call the first four films. Ah. You're that, holding up two fingers. Yeah, I didn't want to call that out because this is an audio podcast. The listeners podcast, wouldn't but... have seen that, guys. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. So the Disney Four, uh, and that's Camp, Christmas, Jail, and, and Scared Stupid. Stupid. Yes. Lovely installments of the Ernest Cannon, and I'm very glad that they had that partnership. I loved it. Also, Disney put stuff on Blu-ray. Yeah, uh, once it's out of the vault or whatever. Yeah, so Ernest Goes to Camp was the first entry into the Disney Ernest partnership. So strap on your mouse ears, grab your boyhood <laughs> short shorts. We're going to camp. This, this is where the, song, this is where the song happens, yeah. Me for you! And you for me! So, uh, first of all, I guess we should remind everyone that this is a character analysis podcast. This yes. is not a film review podcast. We won't be talking about the quality of this film. Although it's not bad. No, it's a pretty entertaining film. I should say that I had never seen this film as a child. Uh, this is the first time I've ever seen it all the way through. And I was very entertained by the uh, zany, madcap humor and antics of one Ernest P. Worrell. <laughs> we, would we just want to figure out... Who is Ernest now? Where is Ernest now? What does this film tell us about Ernest? Why is Ernest now? 
I have to say, coming from the ads, this was a shockingly emotional movie to me. And I was not mentally or psychologically or emotionally prepared for what happened in this movie. You know, the first movie I saw was Jail. Ernest gets electrocuted several times, and then he flies like Superman. Becomes a magnet, yeah. He explodes. He's fine. I did not expect that in this movie that they would drag my heart through the mud and stomp all over it. I was not expecting emotions when I got on board the Ernest train. I didn't know there was a stop on this train where they brought out an adorable little puppy, put it in front of you, and then kicked it right in the face. Kind of just, train line is just that? Just for the listeners, that does not literally happen in the movie. No. No, that metaphorically <laughs> happens. Just clarifying that. It figuratively happens. It does get very emotional. I'm intrigued by how the, the transition from his character in commercials to his character in movies it's not an easy transition. It doesn't feel like it to me. We know that Ad Ernest has a family and everything. Now, as soon as we get to the films... Got it, Edna! Edna's gone. Edna's long gone. I think she just doesn't exist. I was wondering how much of the commercial Ernest, because it's a world I'm not experienced with. A world you're not experienced with. A world I'm not experienced with. How much of that baggage is coming into this movie? But you're saying none of it. Are they, are they of, it entirely? In terms of like his home situation and home life, yes, none of that is coming into this I would film. say his backstory is like completely wiped. Mm-hmm. What remains is the gags. The first thing that popped out to me in the movie was the fact that he keeps talking to Cam sometimes. Right. Right. That bothered me because it wasn't consistent. He also, there's a few takes to Cam that he does as well. But one day, I'll be a camp counselor and I'll be running this place. I'll be shaping and molding youthful minds into a focused worldview. My first note on my notepad here is minute one, who are you talking to? <laughs> yeah. yeah, and I so think I said right who out are you gate. talking to out yes. loud at the yes. screen. For Ernest's first cinematic feature, a lot of the content of this film is reused from ads. Yeah, yeah, It yeah. starts right out of the gate with the ladder gag where Ernest, as a handyman at Camp Kikiki, mm-hmm. is up on a ladder trying to fix a sign or do something. He's talking to camera, but the camera is not Vern. Again, this is where the sort of insanity begins. Oh, yes. Because immediately you're like, Ernest, are you okay? There is, because <laughs> Vern is not there. Correct. We understand that that's his thing, talking to a camera, but usually the camera is a character. And when it's not, what is Ernest doing and why? Without getting too far into the later parts of the film, there is a scene yeah. where Ernest is talking to a camp counselor and we are essentially seeing the camp counselor's POV because Ernest is talking to the camera and saying what <laughs> right. he needs to say to this counselor, and then it cuts to a two-shot, and Ernest is right in the counselor's face. <laughs> Which is great. And it's like, okay, well, cinematically, that makes sense to me. Okay. <laughs> That's where Vern is in relation to Ernest. That's what I assume, yes. <laughs> He's literally... Inches from his face. Like uh, Marty McFly and his principal. You Just... know what I would say, though, that... This is actually much more subdued Ernest than the Ernest in the ads. He's a little bit muted compared to the ads and compared to all the other films where he's like completely off the wall. Well, with the ads, I think there's this sense of heightened reality because yes. you have to pack so much energy into 30 seconds. That's and true. Yeah. I mean, he's it's Ernest, this weirdo cartoon man from TV advertisements in, for lack of a better word, the real world. Like he's in yeah. realistic situations. There's this whole backstory about mining Going from That's like, yeah, exactly. going from, hey, drink mellow yellow to we might lose our uh, Native <laughs> our American <state. laughs> ground for the campsite because there's this mining tycoon who wants to take over the land and use it for some untoward nefarious purposes. Like a little bit of a different tone to the uh, the you proceedings. All right, this is I think the most realistic that you ever get with Ernest. He just is like the weird groundskeeper guy. It's sort of 
makes sense in a way. It's a really, in his role in the movie, it's a very easy transition. It's like, where can we put him so that he makes sense? That weird handyman, what's his story? I don't know. <laughs> well, let's like kind of go through the film chronologically and see uh, what we can uncover about Ernest. Sure. Where is Ernest this time? What's the premise? Well, well, at the beginning of the film, Ernest is a handyman slash caretaker, I guess, at Camp Kikiki. His dream is to be a camp counselor. And that's that's sort of a recurring theme that we'll see in a lot of the Ernest films where Ernest is in a place and he wants to Rise ascend. above his station. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. Ernest wants to be a counselor so bad. And his boss, Mr. Tipton, is a huge jerk yeah. and doesn't want to give him a chance. He's trying so hard. He is literally the only person at the camp that has bothered to learn the Kikiki sign language, which is the only way that the owner of the land can communicate with anyone that's and not part of his tribe. The owner of the land is, is an American Indian. Yes. Uh, who is sort of like... It's, he owns the land. He's, respons- the land. he's, res- yeah. he's yeah. responsible for it. And he sort of, he lets them use it for camp because he sees the kids as carrying on the tradition of the Braves. Correct. Which that is, was introduced in the first minute of the film. The, the ceremony of the stone and like the arrow and this. Kind of a cold open, I guess. It's a really bizarre opening. I was not, <laughs> I thought I got the wrong film. That's great. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you sign up for Ernest. You're and you're like, where's like, Ernest? Yeah, what is happening? Is this is <laughs> turn this, the tables? Is this over. Ernest's like backstory? The backstory of the Native American chief, correct? Yes. Right? Correct. That's, are we supposed to believe that that's him? Oh, is that wait? Oh, whoa. that's what I thought. You when might I got be the right. End. Maybe that is the chief going through the ceremony because they're the two last. They're the only two remaining yes. of this tribe. Is the chief and, and his, his daughter. Chief and his granddaughter. daughter the nurse. Oh, granddaughter. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. sure. Yeah, why not? That's even cooler. So you brought up uh, Nurse St. Cloud, and that is the chief's granddaughter. granddaughter. During our viewing of this, I called her not quite a love interest. She's, yeah. She's kind of like Ernest's only real friend. That's like kind she of- She really is. Like- I don't want to say that she's on Ernest's level, but mm. they're they're both sort of at like the same stage in life. Well, like, I think both she understands like, Ernest, or at least sees the value in him more than the other counselors. She appreciates the effort that is put in I by would, Ernest. I would say they have a similar value to the camp in that they're both not they're both not counselors. They're both not running things, but they both provide a service to the camp that the camp needs: a nurse and a groundskeeper. Yeah, and, and then the, the counselors are very clicky. I would also say that Ernest and also he's the only person that bothered to learn the sign language. Well, that's what I was gonna say. I think Ernest and her both share sort of like a reverence for yeah what the camp stands for to uh, the chief chief Saint Cloud. Yeah. yeah, that's true. The first scene that we see is where she like gives Ernest a shot. Right, for the yearly physical. That's where he gets the shot and then starts confessing to crimes that he didn't commit. Yeah. <laughs> he plans to be Joseph Mengele? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That, that's a reference that's way past Maybe he me. is. Maybe that's part of the backstory. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I have questions about his backstory, but uh, I don't know if I want to get into that right although now. I have to say, like, when she gives him the shot, and you, do you know what I'm saying? Uh, okay. You're going to talk about Jim Varney's arms, oh, yeah. aren't you? Yeah, Just there's, a little there's, bit. There's no Just reason let me to... talk about his oh, arms. There's other, there's other moments where it makes his, where it makes appearances when he rolls up his sleeve. But... Yeah. <sighs> <laughs> I will say, Jim Varney looks good in this movie, okay? Yeah. In terms of him being the most grounded Ernest, he's not making the insane faces. And when it's sort of, you just see more of Jim... He's making some insane faces. Oh, no, faces. he is. So Of course he is. He's still Ernest. Right. It's just slightly dialed down. And sure. when it is dialed down, you're like, Jim Varney's kind of hot. And there's a scene where there's St. Cloud has to give him a shot. I can take it, Miss St. Cloud. Real men can take it, and I'm a real man. A man with a hearty smile, a stout back. And he's talking about how he's a man with, like, grit in his teeth and nail in his knuckles. He has to get to the line, like, is that your smallest needle, before she actually injects him. 
So she kind of has to just dilly-dally while he says this. She kind of has to just like do a little business with the arm and just kind of like fond a little, little bit before she injects him. Why are you laughing? It's true. <laughs> I'm like, go get it, girl. I understand. There's St. Cloud. Hence, not quite love interest. Yeah. What were you going to say, Dan? Oh. <laughs> before Aaron got on before the Aaron 10 minute arm tangent. <laughs> um, I was going to say that scene is the first time where we get, I think in the film, that we get the weird fisheye kind of lens. And Ernest is much more in the foreground and feels that kind of, it feels more like the commercial images that you know of Ernest. Uh, It's interesting because this movie, like, they don't use a wide-angle view of Ernest that much. But in all the other movies, I think the camera gets, like, closer and closer and closer to him. But I feel like in this movie, they were less like, let's make a movie and, like, not shoot it like an Ernest ad. And it's, yeah, he is kind of not often seen in that angle. I think you can make an argument that, like, the fisheye sort of super wide-angle Ernest in the face of the camera is kind of part of his character oh sure because it distorts his features and makes him look crazy and it's tough when that's Vern because then it's like well these are two characters and their sort of relationship defines that insanity but then when it's just Ernest in the camera it's it's a slightly different animal but it is still Ernest I just realized that's why Jim Varney looks so freaking hot in this movie (laughs) (laughs) because 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 he's shot with like a prime lens and it's not yeah (laughs) I apologize to everyone no don't no I mean own it are you kidding me that might also point to the fact that this feels a lot more like a film featuring Ernest, whereas the later ones feel like Ernest film. Like they feel like a, Interesting. It's a different kind of character. Yeah. I mean, I think Dan's right on the money. Like this is a movie with Ernest in it as opposed to an Ernest movie. Yeah. And I actually think Ernest works that way. Well, we've talked about how Ernest is a cartoon character and maybe a little bit less so in this movie. There are a lot of more realistic characters in this, like the counselors are for all intents and purposes sort of counselor archetypes like Mm -hmm. if you want to picture what mr tipton looks like picture a jerky camp counselor (laughs) you got it like that's him how is ernest not the best employee how is he not Uh, i mean i feel like mr tipton's just in it for those like those camp counseling bucks like (laughs) he doesn't he doesn't care about the experience he's just like I'm here to collect. I don't think Mr. Timpton is smart or cultured enough to understand the genius of Ernest. I would agree with that. He doesn't understand the value that he has. Absolutely. Like, Mr. Tipton is like, okay, the government told us that we have to have, we're going to take in these last chance boys. Second chance boys. Yeah. They are sort of our our entry points into the film in terms of being the underdogs. Yes. uh, In the same way that Ernest is kind of an underdog. They're cast-offs in the same way that, for some reason, Ernest is a cast-off. And they're even cast-off by the counselors themselves. They sort of get passed off to Ernest. Yeah, but he's happy. He's happy to do it. Oh, he's glad to do it. Oh, sure. it's, It's a big shot. Mr. Tipton is like, hey, Ernest, go and pick up these kids from the State Institute for Boys. Right. And we're going to have them at camp. And Ernest is super excited, and he goes and picks them up. Drives a school bus. And you got really angry, Dave, because when Ernest brings the kids back, he just like he bumps the bumper a little bit because the kids are covering his eyes. It's the, not Ernest's fault. Yeah, the kids are being jerks a little bit, and they're like covering Ernest's eyes. And Ernest is too good-natured to sort of like uh-huh. call them out on that. Well, he's excited that they're playing a game with him. And he's excited to be thing. in the role that he's always wanted to be. Yeah. And he bumps the bumper of the bus in front of him. A little bit. And then falls out comically backwards. Falls out comically backwards. (laughs) Sideways backwards. Every which way but up. And then Mr. Tipton comes out and is immediately like, Frankly, I'm disappointed in you, Ernest. I give you a simple task to do and this is what I get. I don't know how you can ever expect to be a counselor. What? (laughs) Get out of here. Like Like, I guarantee you, sir, that you have bumped a car that you've parked next to. It's fine. 
Nobody was injured except the person that you were verbally berating right now. I think he's still on the floor when yes. he's like, Ernest, <laughs> I'm disappointed on. in That's you. That's right. Yes. It's just like, oh, come on. How dare you? And then poor Ernest, he stands up. He's like, I'm sorry. I'll try to do better. Like, no, it's, Ernest, you're doing, you're doing great. great. <laughs> you're fine. It's not a big deal. You know, in some ways, Mr. Tipton is also a cartoon man, but just a very bland, we need a stereotype of a camp counselor. Here he is. I'm so disappointed in you. Yeah, exactly. If anyone failed at that moment, I think it's Mr. Tipton because he talks to other campers and tells them, let's give him a big welcome, and no one's there. Yep. <laughs> That's right. By that token, he does not have the the clout to be like, oh, Ernest, you screwed up. You know what, Mr. Tipton? Take responsibility for your employees. <laughs> you screwed up, sir. <laughs> Thank you. Good evening. Sir. He is a cartoon, but then at the same time, we have Jake and Eddie, and these are the, the camp's oh, cooks. Dan, yeah, whatever you're going to say, just say. Who are, are, do we know these people? From, are they, do they exist in another, because they're insane. Dan looks really confused. So, so Jake is played by, what is that actor's name? Guylard Sartain. I'm, just, I'm sorry if I'm butchering the pronunciation, but he does play, yes, often in other Ernest movies, we see him playing the role of Chuck, but in this case, it's the role of Jake, which is right. basically the same. Chuck is one half of the duo, Chuck and Bobby, and mm-hmm. they, they are sort of mainstays from other Ernest films, but they are also commercial characters. Oh, yes. They come from commercials where they're basically like, hi, I'm Chuck, and this is my brother, Bobby. Let's talk about products. Yeah, but, but Bobby ne- is not here. We've got uh, Eddie instead. Who's played but, by Daniel Butler? But they've never showed up in earnest commercials, have they? They have no. Not. They had their own commercials, oh, Chuck and Bobby. Wow! It's all in the family, I think. Was it the same reasoning? Like this commercial guy's popular, so these other two commercial guys are also popular. I, think... I don't know. Maybe it's more like, hey, we're making a movie, you guys. I mean, I think it was just that they were the same. It was another Cardin and Cherry thing, yeah. where they're just like, oh, we got these guys. They could be. They have like a shtick that'll work yeah. for this film and for these yeah. characters. I mean, just like we would do if Disney handed us a budget. And Absolutely. We would rope in all our friends, so much like we're done right now. Exactly. Hi, Dan. Hey, so, what else? <laughs> um, so, anyway, Chuck from the future films is now Jake, and he's a, for all intents and purposes, a different character. Sure. So, Jake and Eddie are two uh, cooks. They're the cooks for the camp. And um, there's a scene where Jake and Eddie are trying to get Ernest to try. Whatever it is that they've cooked up in this disgusting-looking kitchen. I think it's their kitchen. constant attempts at making eggs erroneous. Ernest, I want you to cut yourself a big knock out of these eggs erroneous. No, I, I can't eat on an empty stomach. Well, it's a it's a setup for a gag that will pay off later. Mm. But the two cooks are trying to get Ernest to try this thing. Looks disgusting. It looks disgusting, and you turn to me and you go. Ernest is the most normal person in this scene. That's what was crazy to me, that I was watching it. I was like, wait, is Ernest the straight person in this scene? 100%. It was nuts. I've never seen that before. I've never seen Ernest be the normal one in a scene with two even more cartoony characters. One of the reasons you feel Ernest is the most grounded is because these two characters exist in this universe. You're right. All of a sudden, okay, he's not the most cartoony guy. That's true. He can be cartoony, but he's not as extreme as these two. One has an odd British Accent. I'm not sure what he's doing. And the other one is like a scheming. He's scheming for that perfect eggs erroneous recipe. First, a fancy, and then a little Italian named Fredo. Mamma mia, not the delivery of I'm concentrating. It seems like they are trying to like experiment with food in a way that 
I don't understand or <laughs> I, I, I literally don't know well, what's happening. Well, it's again, it's like the inventor uh, mindset. It is. Um, and speaking of to... inventor, they do invent a, a machine to help them get to that. That's also a, a recurring thing in earnest movies and in the ads to a certain degree. Which contraptions. Is just weird contraptions yeah. and inventions and that'll come up later in the film, but we won't jump ahead to that yet. Yeah, kids love contraptions. You know, Ernest and the boys... Ernest really loves the Last Chance Kids. Sorry, I keep calling them the Last Chance Kids. There's a there's a second, second chance, chance kids, kids. <laughs> which sounds like some weird like. But it might Western... as well be Last Chance because as soon as they screw up, Mr. Tipton's like, "Well, they gotta leave. We gotta send them back." Baby, baby, bad. I suck. So like, <laughs> look, Mr. Tipton. Okay, these kids are not bad. They are immediately bullied by the first counselor that's assigned to them, whose name is Stennis. Yeah, which is not a real name. <laughs> sorry, last sorry. Name, though, right? Yes, oh, is it? It is. Okay. His first name is Anyone Four. The first counselor that gets assigned to them is Stennis. He thinks that he needs to put these kids through boot camp instead of being nice to them. He's got to, like, discipline them. Right. So, of course, they immediately are like, no. And they injure Stennis greatly by, by like, pushing him off of his lifeguard stand. And then I guess Stennis has a horrible, horrible injury as a result of that. Because, like, the next scene, they're like, it's a shame about Counselor Stennis. Maybe he died. He definitely did not die. No, I think <laughs> when he falls into the water, they push him off the dock. And yeah, and he's, he's like, he my starts leg. screaming my leg. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. I thought that was a cramp. I suddenly got a cramp as yeah, soon as possible. they pushed him in. That's possible. But to be honest, he deserved He tried totally. to drown that little kid. Yeah, that's true. He did. Yes. Mustafa. You know, Oops. this brings up a, a recurring theme in this movie, which is everyone is terrible to everyone else, and somehow Ernest always gets blamed. Yeah. It's like, oh, these kids screwed up. Ernest, I'm I'm really disappointed in you. <laughs> really? Yeah, why? Well, At least Ernest doesn't get blamed for this. I was shocked that he didn't get blamed for this. Right. But like Stennis, the reason that they do that to Stennis is because he throws this like little seven-year-old cutie into the lake who can't swim. And he starts screaming, I can't swim. So Ernest comes running up with a pole. And like in the rescue of Mustafa actually knocks two other kids <laughs> off. Yes, of them. I actually like that a lot. That was really fun. <laughs> That's the first bond that Ernest makes with one of the boys. Right. Moose is the way that Ernest eventually gets all the kids to his side. Mm-hmm. I think he's like the heart of the gang. Right. Moose being the youngest has the purest heart. Absolutely. <laughs> and can yeah. see the pure heart of Ernest. The heart of a child. The heart of a child. Um, Stennis's departure is actually what makes the, the head camp counselors who for whatever reason are just a, exactly. a bunch of almost identical looking white people and Mr. <laughs> Tipton. They're all just like, well, well, we need another counselor. Who are we going to pick? Uh, I guess there's Ernest. He's literally done nothing wrong the entire time we've been here, but he we literally have some asks sort of every day to be a counselor. I guess we could be him. They can make him the counselor. So that's how Ernest actually does get the job of camp counselor. Exactly. And he is eternally grateful and adorable. Oh, I can't believe it's true. Me, a counselor. Oh, a real counselor. I can't believe it. And completely earnest. We haven't even actually, it's not a joke. We haven't touched on the fact yet that Ernest is the perfect name for this character. Oh, 100%. He tries so hard. And I know that's not why he was named Ernest, but it was destiny that he be named Ernest. Ernest is the perfect description, not just of the character, but of Jim Varney's acting style. So much intense conviction. Genuine, yeah. And so Ernest is so delighted to be a counselor. He's so excited. Yet another thing that's recurring in kind of the Ernest film canon, at least for the ones that I've seen, Ernest becomes very paternal with the Second Chance boys. He becomes sort of like, not quite a father figure, but like someone to look up to and someone to sort of like, you know, I feel like maybe Mm -hmm. adults like Mr. Tipton and others, they're too sort of in their own adult heads to sort of realize the value of Ernest. But kids, especially kids who are sort of 
similarly outcast. Yes. Like they can see the value of Ernest and it takes a while, but they do form a bond where Ernest is very paternal and it's it's neat to see. It's it's a nice move for that character. That's not really the first thought you'd have from the ads. Sure. It's like, let's put Ernest in a paternal role with all these kids. But I guess once you get Disney and once it's probably coming from the angle that they know that kids love Ernest. Sure. So you should put Ernest with kids. Absolutely. It's also great that he forms that bond and he has that per- because it immediately proves that he was correct the whole time that he should have been a camp counselor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The rest of you guys didn't, don't have this paternal bond. He does. He actually cares about yeah. the camp in the way that we described earlier. Him and, and he cares about the kids. Him and Nurse St. Cloud are on the same page, and it's like, well, this camp has value beyond just being a money-making scheme for Mr. Tipton. <laughs> How much money is that? <laughs> He's camp rolling in it. Sweet, sweet camp well, they're money. just the other He's camp- got that pith helmet. He's right on the money. The other counselors are like power tripping. Oh, absolutely. I don't know what it is, but like every camp film is exactly the same film to me. <laughs> that same feeling hit me, especially hard with the musical choices in the film. Oh, yeah. Whenever the evil guy comes on, there's like a guitar riff and there's like a weird saxophone. Like this, like, I'm <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, yeah. All this is so, so much shorthand for like these kind of camp movies. Absolutely. But it's, a, but it's a baseline. You know what this is. Yeah, yeah. We're taking this formula you know and throwing Ernest in and seeing yeah. what happens. You brought up the, the evil guy, which I think that's the perfect way to describe him. We haven't talked about him really. Uh, his name is uh, Crater. Yeah, K R A D E R, and he crater is crater mining. And is that? I'm assuming that's a pun. Like he's digging a big hole in the ground, so yeah. he just All leaves the, a crater. Yeah, the names they're very that are given to Ernest's characters are yeah. very. They often have double meaning. Crater is just going around and bullying people out of their land, basically, Correct. getting people evicted, and he's just he's looking for petrocyte, which is apparently. A big deal. It's like the unobtainium of this film. <laughs> it's unobtainium. He says it's important to the space industry. <laughs> does he say that? What is that? What does that mean? But the space industry is all those bucks. The big bucks. <laughs> yeah, but mainly before Crater starts interacting with the camp, we mainly see his lawyer. Who I should say, you know, as not much, a bad dude. No, as much as uh, you know, Ernest is and isn't a cartoon in this film. Nursing Cloud and this lawyer are the two most reasonable people in the movie. You're right. And you could argue that they are the real heroes of the movie in the end. This lawyer guy is on the money. You know, he works for Crater, but he always seems like, I kind of hate my job and I don't want to be doing this. He's going through all the right channels. He's asking politely. That's what surprised me about the film. Once the lawyer showed up, I thought, oh, here's the bad guy. Like, Mm -hmm. we've met him right away. Absolutely. And then he starts to turn right before you're introduced. Oh, I guess in the scene that you're introduced to Crater. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You see the softer side of him, him being bullied by Crater. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's like a big bad. There's like a little mini bad and then yeah. there's a big bad. There's a mini boss, yeah. Mini boss isn't that bad. <laughs> mini boss is an okay guy. Yeah. So Crater is, is trying to do this whole mining operation. This is the, what's going on in the background as Ernest is forming a bond. A bond with all these with the last chance boys. Second chance. Second chance. Second chance. <laughs> you got me doing it now. <laughs> Yeah, so Ernest takes them hiking. This is... Uh, I have a question about him hiking, by the way. Okay, okay, I, hang I want, on. I'm really curious okay, if Dan has the same okay, question Yeah, I yeah, have. hold on. Let me get to it, okay? <laughs> Let's go into it. Yeah, while all this is going on in the, the background, Ernest has no clue that any of this is happening, by the way. He's just hanging out with the kids, trying to impress them. It's a, as if... It's almost as if they are little Verns. Oh, 100%. I mean, with the exception of Mustafa, who already loves Ernest, all the boys are like the ones that Ernest desperately wants the affection of. He wants their approval. He wants their friendship. They are Verns to him. Maybe that's why, like, when we're with the boys, that's where the ad gags come out. That's where Ernest, like, makes the fire. The fire on his leg. He's trying to make a fire on his leg. 
gag and like gets into the badger nest and like all the you start to see all these ad gags come out. Do because, badgers have nests? I don't know. Maybe. Could they not afford a shot of a badger? Well, it's hard to get animals to do anything. But just the cutaway. You want a me. shot of a badger <laughs> like mauling Jim Varney? <laughs> yeah, because the whole time I was like, oh, man, there's badger. But we never remember that. Oh, I'm sorry that disappointed badgers. you. When the gag happens in the ads, you don't see anything. You just see Ernest like, run off screen and they run off back. There's definitely stuff that works in a 30-second spot that does not work. That's as... neither here nor there. But sure. Like, but yeah, they are little bitty verns. Yeah, at one point Ernest is like, I like the boys, but I don't think they like it's me. So and it's sad. like, oh, Ernest, Ernest, no. Oh, one of my favorite things is there's this thing with Ernest that is in the ads that also applies to this movie and the boys. And that kind of applies all the time is that Ernest kind of refuses to show pain. Yeah. Even when he's in intense pain. Um, he was kind of talks like in this voice. He's like, oh, he goes it's that, fine. Oh, it's fine. Yeah. And he walks up. There's a bit I love that he does where he says that he's going to tell them how to sharpen a knife. I love this. I maybe I love this bit because of the acting. It is a bit grim, mm-hmm. but like, yeah, he takes his knife. He goes, "I'll show you how to sharpen a knife. First, you lick the stone, and then Jim Varney's face after he licks the stone makes me laugh. But then, like, <laughs> and then he says, "Then you hold the knife at a perfect forty-five degree angle and run it briskly down the stone and through the meat of the hand." There you go. <laughs> and like, it's just the, the casual way he says it as he slices his hand open. And the reaction of the boys behind him is great too. They look nauseous. That's yeah. the best part for me, the reaction behind him. <laughs> the, the, the reaction to the lick is really good and the reaction to the slicing of the hand is really good. Because you don't see it. You're not, obviously, they don't, they, don't, yeah, yeah. they don't cut away to it or anything. Yeah. So all you get is the reaction of Ernest and the people behind him. That's And why the fact that the kids behind him react so well to it like really sells that joke. Absolutely. And then Ernest is like, Okay, there you go. And he hands it back to the kid and then just does that, oh, and like leaves. And that is some control. He has a high tolerance for pain. He does. And part of it is he's a cartoon. Yeah. But when he's in like kind of the real world situations of this movie, there gets to be some like really iffy points where like there's two segments at least in this movie where Ernest cannot breathe. That's what I was just going to say. Like, Every time Ernest says this, it disturbs me. Yeah. I can't breathe is a terrible thing. Well, he says it once when they, they tie him up with first aid bandages. Right. They get, like a mummy. They wrap him in gauze like a mummy. And, and they're like, how do we do, Ernest? And he's like, it's great, but I can't breathe. And I was like, I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like, I don't like that Ernest can't breathe. Yeah. There's also the point where, for some reason, one of the kids takes a lunch tray and slams it into Ernest's face. And it has a very cartoony effect. You can see the shape of his head through the lunch Tray. The lunch tray. Lunch tray. And it's like, oh, okay, that's funny. But then you hear a little kid, like, in the background go, Oh, my God, he can't breathe. Which is odd because it feels like that was ADR'd. It like, must have been. But then it's like, but like why would you add why that? Why even draw it... attention to it? Yeah, it's just like, let the gag be the gag. I because think... it made me disturbed. I was like, oh, you're right, he can't breathe. That's not funny at all. I think the ADR line is the impetus to hit him with a cast iron skillet. Oh, that because makes otherwise, sense. Otherwise, otherwise, then a boy just comes up and hits him in the face of the cast iron skillet for That's no true. reason. That's true. That's true. Right. It does motivate the yeah. quote unquote saving of Ernest yeah. from asphyxiation. <laughs> yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is some iffy stuff. Where when Ernest can't breathe, I get uncomfortable. There is a part in this movie, Ernest bleeds. Yeah, that is a big deal to me that I was not expecting. Let's let's get there. Like okay. let's let's go to happier times. Can I just bring up one thing while sure. they're hiking? Yeah. Oh yeah. And it. And it was a question that I had, and I don't know if it's talked about in other movies, because I don't know Ernest's past, but he brings up that he was in Nam. <laughs> yes, <laughs> this, yes. This is a big thing. I think when when he said that, David, like, you lunged for your notes. I, and, like, I, 
I just have Ernest in Vietnam and then a whole a bunch question of marks. question marks. <laughs> Come on, Ernest, you're gonna get us lost. Well, we were lost for weeks in Nam. I was under fire. My body riddled with shrapnel and malaria, mono, wet socks. Yeah, I had that question to you too. I turned to you and I said, wait. Okay. And it's the same kind of thing as like the ads where he's just like, oh yeah, me and Ernie Jr. He'll just like say it and then like he's offhanded. Like, oh, yeah, back and, in Nam. And you're like, wait, 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 and, and like, what? We need to rewind what? this yeah. immediately. He speaks about it with authority and he talks about shrapnel. Like he talks about kind of grisly things. Yeah. Yes. And my, there's a, there's a point later in the movie where he also talked about being on a, I think like a riverboat as a gambler on the Del- Delacroix. So yeah. Okay. That I thought was. Boasting and fake? Or? Yeah, that I thought was, uh, he was yarn spin, spinning if, yarn. It made me wonder if he's a liar in any way. Because he doesn't strike me at any other point in that movie as lying. There's points where he puts on a face to hide pain and to, to, to yes. kind of impress people. But would he go so far as to lie about being in Vietnam to That's impress the thing. these kids? The gambling boat, Yeah, like I assumed that that was... Uh, a lie. He was just, uh, he's just trying to impress the boys because it's so ridiculous. But yeah. Vietnam... Well, he has no reason to lie about that. Basically, yes. And Dan, to your question about what is Ernest's backstory, uh, one of the things that we uh, have sort of talked about in, well, our one previous episode mm-hmm. uh, is that apparently Ernest is a different Ernest in every movie. So there's really no consistent Wait. backstory. This is this is <laughs> he what looks so confused right now. Your the face you're making is the exact reaction. Wait, why? Wait, but he's isn't he like always a janitor though, or he, not mostly a janitor? No, not always. Some well, he's usually, he's usually in, in some like kind of of menial labor blue role. Blue collar kind of. Uh, but it's yeah. not. So it's not the same. It's but, the same character, but it's a different universe. Yes, yeah, sort that's, of. That's the notion as we this understand is, it. That's bizarre. And I'm using "understand it" with giant air quotes. Hence, podcast, Dan. Yeah, yes. Um, that's like a Rashomon of Ernest. Well, this is pretty much. <laughs> I don't even know if I get that reference. But this is why. This is basically the impetus for why we talk about this okay. because we don't understand Ernest, where he comes from. There's always like some new thing that we find that we're like. Wait, wait, what? Yeah, so what? was this Ernest in Nam and like never married, never I think we could safely say based solely on this movie alone, yes. Wow. And what that says about his sort of motivation and uh, internal brain workings, I don't even know where to begin. But to your also to your point about the boat story, Ernest is also kind of an aspiring actor in some ways. Uh, and I feel like he has in this these... movie? I don't know about this movie. In other movies, sure. I mean, just the monologuing. I would say that it's not so much being an actor, it's his need to impress. Sure. Um, one of the things that I really like about this movie and about Ernest, the character, especially in this movie, yeah. are those moments when he speaks with high confidence of things he seemingly doesn't know that much about. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> those moments are like, they're really enjoyable as a viewer. When he, when he first gives the speech before they go hiking about what to watch out for, and if you pick at it, it will never heal. So stay together, be remindful of the weather, and for heaven's sakes, don't pick it or it will never heal. (laughs) That that joke got me. And when he talks about the, when he talks to Crater about being able to speak bilingual. bilingual, Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he says, he speaks in French, like bad French for a while. Those parts (laughs) really, like, he has that kind of, that, that confident cadence. Yeah. And I think that can be mistaken for like acting. Sort of kind theatrical. Of, the sure. Theatrical kind of way. But in reality, it's just him trying to impress people. I guess maybe my, my knowledge of the other movies is coloring it too much. Where in I the other so, movies, yeah. it's less about him uh, impressing people yeah. sometimes. And more once... just about like, oh, time for Ernest to do a monologue. We for... will get into actor Ernest 
But like in this movie, You're I right. don't we think we might not be there yet. Yeah, he hasn't played anyone in, within the world of the movie yet. He hasn't pretended to be another person, but he is doing his inventing thing. Yeah, yeah. we do. We are at Inventor Ernest, where he makes this hot dog contraption. And again, this is maybe to impress. Is this part of impressing the boys? He does say the boys will love this. He's just really excited to show it to them. I feel like a recurring theme or a thing that I've gotten a lot of questions from in just talking to people about this podcast is how much of Ernest is Jim Varney versus how much of Ernest is John Cherry? Yeah. And I feel like John R. Cherry loves contraptions. Yeah. They're all over the place regardless of whether they're invented by Ernest or not. Mm-hmm. Um, Probably the actor shades of Ernest come from Jim Varney <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And yeah, the contraptions part. But the contraptions are interesting to watch, I think, as a viewer. They're kind of yeah, a yeah. nice little... What are those things called? Like a Rube Goldberg, Goldberg machine? machine. Yeah. yeah, who doesn't love contraptions? And the 80s were the time of the Rube Goldberg machine. <laughs> yeah. you got Pee-wee's breakfast machine. Mm-hmm. You've got the Back to the Future uh, dog food feeding thing. Rube Goldberg devices were omnipresent. But this, it also does work for the fact that Ernest is a lateral thinker, let's say. Like, sure. that's his thing. He's He doesn't do things practically. But no. he is kind of a genius. He always has to do like the most wacky, mm-hmm. outrageous. Like if you were going to go from point A to point B, you would do a straight line. Ernest has to do like the squiggly out to the you side. You and I would make a hot dog. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and roast soup? a chicken. I don't know what he... Yeah. Tomato soup, right? He had, some kind of weird tomato soup. It was thing. A thing that, really that, I think me. it was a thing that was <laughs> dipping hot dogs into oh, something. I don't, I, you know, I don't remember he the was, particulars. It was, but it was also a... But it was also a, like a chicken on a spit. That I remember, yes. Yeah, there's, he was doing a bunch of things at once. Is Ernest often foiled by his own inventions? Yes. yes. Okay. He is. He is often a victim of circumstance. Okay. He has the best of intentions, mm-hmm. and you know, I he'll plug something in, and it just won't go his way. It seems like he he's doing well, but he just he doesn't have follow through, or maybe he's not good at the polish. Because the only reason it doesn't work is because there's no like safety thing that he right. added to keep the leather strap from coming apart. It would have worked perfect. But he just doesn't have the follow through and like the the finesse to finish it. But like in the in the big picture, his ideas are good. But then they they fail, and he goes, "Oh, I suck!" And like he doesn't realize <laughs> that he's actually great. He's like ninety percent of the way there. He's yeah. there. It's just that last ten percent, and like somebody just needs to help him. Someone help him. I think you can you know make a real argument that Ernest inventions in the same way that he is Ernest is Ernest. Mm. Like all of his inventions are made with heart. And I think in a lot of ways, the fact that they come from the heart means that he is trying to share what he has inside with others. That's what I was going to say. Like, there seems to be a lot going on in his head that he does not know how to express. Right. And it comes out in these, like, big monologues and yep. wacky contraptions because he can't, he can't not, he cannot sit still. Yeah. His brain is full of things and he has to get them out, like, purge them from his system. It must be exhausting, to be earnest. Well, you know... <laughs> Why are you laughing, Wait, Dan? Wait, what's up? <laughs> just the, the, the sentence made me chuckle. It must be exhausting to be earnest. <laughs> it must. I mean, in real life, it's exhausting to be earnest. Yeah. That's true. Guys. Yeah, it uh, is. So at minute one, you asked, who are you talking to? Mm-hmm. The thing I wrote down immediately afterwards was almost instantly, Ernest is not dumb in this movie. Like, from the get-go, oh, yeah, no, it's he's... like, he is not a dumb no, character. No, not at all. He's, he is earnest. 
my my favorite line is like when he's walking around and he's trying to scope out, I think, a good location for a teepee that he wants to build with the boys. Yeah. He happens upon Nurse St. Cloud and her grandfather, the chief. I love the casual way he greets her because he's like, oh, hi, Nurse St. Cloud. <laughs> Why is he becoming some sort <laughs> yeah, of like some Southern, Southern Belle? Belle. <laughs> That's the way he said I it. I do declare. That's why I loved it. <laughs> it's another one of those scenes of that confidence that he, that he puts forth. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he sits down and she asks him if he's lost and he goes, oh, no. And he says it so flippantly. Like he's, he... I know these words like the back of my hand. Mm-hmm. It's all right here. A keen sense of direction and a firm grasp on the throttle that controls the elements. Here, have something to eat. Thank you. He says he has a keen sense of direction and a firm grasp on the throttle that controls the elements. Who talks like that? Uh, an actor. <laughs> a genius. Just putting that out there, yeah. I think I was watching this movie with actually another person, and when he said that, they turned to me and they went, he's not dumb. Like yeah. they, And they sounded really confused. And I was just like, I know, hence podcast. I mean, I think one of the things I really respond to about Ernest, the character, is I love words and I love wordplay. Yeah. And he has such like, I don't want to say eloquent, but he has such like an interestingly flowery way of speaking that is really satisfying. That actually makes me wonder, like, who in the Ernest brain trust does that come from? That was that was a big question I had, because not only is his language flowery, his mm. cadence. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Those kind of things are like really interesting ways of, and I don't know if that's just if that's coming from Varney, if that's coming from a writer, I well, don't know. Well, the cadence has to be coming from Varney because you but can't it could be, it script could, cadence. But it could be informed by writing is what I'm saying. But I yeah. think if you gave the exact same dialogue to another actor, it would not sound like that. I think it the presentation is Varney, but he is given a lot to work with. Sure. It's almost kind of like a perfect storm of like yeah. nonsense from all different directions mm-hmm. congealing into this like interesting, entertaining bizarrety. It also I, feels a lot of like there's a lot of improv-y kind of feeling to it. And oftentimes it feels like the script might say, when the uh, window pane falls on fingers, Ernest reacts. And then it's like, all right, go, yeah. go nuts. Go nuts, <laughs> sure. Barney. Yeah, just exactly. React. If we just want to talk about like who the writers were for this movie, this movie was written by John R. Cherry III and Coke Sams as the screenplay writers. And then uh, two folks, uh, Steve Leisure and Glenn Patach as additional dialogue. Interesting. So um, I don't know how that breaks down in terms of what's what, but... I think from having seen all the movies, taking note of the writing credits and watching the ads, I get the impression that a lot of the flowery theatrical dialogue comes from Coke Sam's. Mm, interesting. I get that impression because like, he did make another film where people like talk like that through the entire movie. Oh. Gotcha. So I was like, oh, I guess he's the... We can attribute a lot of Ernest's more ornate monologues. Maybe we can attribute to him you know and anyone could correct me and be like no damn it it was <laughs> i mean that's what this podcast is here for yeah to get but to that's the, bottom of this. the impression that i get is that a lot of that comes from coke sam's and like the perfect storm of coke sam's dialogue and jim varney delivery i think there's actually a nice balance oh certainly so yeah so Ernest is very theatrical as always in this movie but the kids i guess the kids find him super weird because of it like how do you react to someone like that sure again i don't know how i've never met somebody that spoke like that in real life i don't know that anyone like that exists there's isn't there a point at the movie where one of the kids goes like uh ernest he's a jerk and a jerk in like the way like a loser yeah yeah Yeah, because after he happens upon nurse saint cloud talks about his keen sense of direction and everything he is immediately attacked by fire ants that's true this is not his fault no hardly no it's not even an uh an invention going wrong it is literally (laughs) happenstance nurse saint cloud and her grandfather are right there but the fire ants seem dead set on only injury only attacking Ernest. (laughs) yeah that was 
That was really bizarre to me. <laughs> and they sit there and just stare at him as if, oh, Ernest. This guy again. <laughs> There's a dedicated shot of just the grandfather staring <laughs> disappointingly at Ernest. You if failed Mr. again, If Ernest. Mr. Tipton had been in the scene, he'd be like, Ernest, I'm, I'm really disappointed. I'm disappointed in you. <laughs> Poor Ernest, he tries so hard. And, so uh, poor Ernest is then um in the infirmary. There's St. Cloud. He's got ant bites all over him. And the boys bring him the gift of poison ivy to like... It's like a get well present ostensibly, but then it's jerks. actually, yeah, it's <sighs> it's a prank. And, poor Ernest. Uh, it's I, a really mean prank. It yeah. is really mean. That's the thing is that he's so happy because he's like, they like me. And yeah, then, it's kind of heartbreaking. It yeah. totally is. And there's St. Cloud reacts to it. Like That's why she gets super angry. Oh, yeah. She totally calls them out on it. She runs after them and r- rips them a new one. Correctly. <laughs> yes. Well, their reaction shows a turning point in them because they're like, because she goes, essentially, why did you do that? That's so, yeah. That was so mean. And they go, because it's a jerk. And there's like a moment of silence where they all realize, wait, that's not a good reason. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the fact, yeah. That we, the, the fact that we just don't really get this guy isn't a good enough reason to make him rub his face in poison ivy. Thank you, Dan. It's true. Absolutely. It sums it up. They also realize that what they've done to Ernest is exactly <gasps> what's been happening to them from that's like true. other counselors oh, yeah. where mm-hmm. it's like, oh, we are all Vern and we are all Ernest. Oh, no. That's what it all boils down to, isn't it? This is the turning point because right after that, you alluded to this, Dave, where Ernest is in his, his bedroom and he's talking to his turtle and he's just like, well, I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I, I like the boys, but I don't think they like me. It's interesting because this is actually, I think, the only time we've seen Ernest honestly talk to himself. I know he's talking to his turtle. He does But say, he's he expressing does... the most honest things we've ever heard him express. I like the boys, but I don't think they like me. This counselor stuff is hard, but it's what I want to do. With any other actor in any other movie, it'd be like, oh, great, here's the exposition scene. But it's Ernest, so it's immediately compelling. And he's even like, <laughs> come on, Pokey, I need to talk to someone. Yes. I'm like, oh, because Vern's not here, and you need someone to monologue to. I know, you're dormant and cold-blooded and all that, but... Ow! Ow! Oh, Pokey! Is Pokey a thing from other... No. No? Okay. Sometimes Ernest has pets. This is the only time I've ever seen Pokey. Yeah, this is the only time I've seen Pokey. When they first reveal him, I thought, oh, has he been talking to Pokey, like, the whole time? (laughs) (laughs) So, like, up in the first scene, like, Pokey's up on the... (laughs) Sign I, assumed, I just assumed, like, oh, he's, like, it, it automatically goes, like, okay, he's been talking to Pokey. Then I realized, wait, that's insane. He's yeah. definitely not talking <laughs> Correct. to Pokey the whole time. And this is where we see Ernest's bedroom, by the way. I was just going to say gotta that. Go to Speaking Ernest's of bedroom. trying to make sense of things. Dan, do you have questions about Ernest's bedroom? He has old film posters in the background that really, I'm trying to freeze frame and figure out what film it was. But it looks like an old, like, a Bogey and Bacall kind of film in the back that really kind of. Interesting. Isn't that interesting? Not Ernest, well, Ernest's interest. If you're in, a fan yes. of old actors, exactly. That's why it's interested in, in actors and acting. So Ernest's bedroom. We had to immediately freeze frame. frame this because where do we even begin? He's got a woman in a bikini on a some sort of power tools poster. He's got like a calendar of like hot bikini babes with di- power tools directly, directly across above. from a photo of his mom. Yeah. <laughs> That that happened. Um, he's got that. A- I saw. I said, "Oh my god!" Like that was the only time I've ever seen it implied that Ernest has any interest in that sort of thing. Uh, parenting? No. <laughs> uh, Relationships? Uh, scantily clad women. I sure. Say. Uh, well, he's also got With power tools. <laughs> we we know he's into power tools. Yeah, I get yeah, it. yeah. It's his middle name. Uh, yeah. Ernest has got uh, a guitar. Um, he's got like three gray t-shirts he, on the bed, which got, is my favorite. He's got his cartoon wardrobe out on the bed. 
Um, he's got barbells, Aaron, if you want to take another moment. Yeah, that's where his arms come from. I was like, there they, there they are. The well, backstory for the arms. He's got barbells. Thank God I, I can sleep now knowing where the uh, the genesis of that was. Where um, he's working out. Interestingly, he's got Star Wars figures. Uh, it's like a half a Luke Skywalker. Oh, no, there's as Luke Skywalker. Boba Fett was in somewhere else that I saw. In an in, ad. Like an ad, I think, yeah. Speaking of ads, he's got the Fast Ernie helmet. Yes. A couple of other Worrell family portraits. Yeah, has a portrait of, I'm assuming, his, his father or grandfather. When and I then first, his mother. When I first saw this, I, I assumed they were 8 by 10 like headshots and glasses. <laughs> yeah, I think... Uh, it's just in Varney in a wig. It, it, yeah, oh, okay. that's legit what it is. <laughs> and they show up in some of the ads. I think yeah, I'm yeah. assuming they're in the Worrell family album yeah. or whatever that Every thing is called. Every time Ernest does the just like Mama used to make gag, he's got a photo of... It's just Jim Varney in a ridiculous grin uh, and like an old yeah, lady okay. Norman Bates wig. Exactly or, correct. So it's either a photo of Ernest's mother or Ernest had a Norman Bates phase. Where right. He, <laughs> And you never know with Ernest. So Ernest's bedroom uh, tells us a lot about him. Kind of ties us a little bit into the, the ads. It's interesting that we've we never see him play a guitar or use a guitar, but he's no. got one. Well, he's got some musical talent in yeah, him, which we'll that... get to later also. Oh. In addition to the sort of ad tie-ins of his bedroom items, uh, we cut back to... Oh, wait, wait. He's also got a little stuffed elephant that's dressed like him. Oh, that's right. <laughs> it's, it's wearing a khaki hat and a little vest. It's a snappy dresser. <laughs> What the heck? <laughs> I'm just imagining that's how he stores his clothes. Rather than hangers, <laughs> yeah, he just has a elephant. series of elephants with the vests and the hat on. What were you saying? The other thing that uh, was interesting and ties us back into the ads is Ernest tells a campfire story about Vern. Yes. Which is, I don't even know what to say about that. It's particularly weird because we know him as talking to Vern. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't talk to Vern. Well, he does bring up a character named Vernon right. in yeah. a story. Is that Vern? Or is that just another character that we don't know about? Oh, I believe Why that is Why keep Vern. it in? Just a reference for us to all like cheer and pump our fists in the air. I know that guy. That's <laughs> the guy from the ads. <laughs> I mean, I felt like a warmness in my heart when he mentioned Vern. Ernest tells a campfire story about Vern. It's, it seems like a very, again, camp archetypes, somebody with a hook, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. It's a very standard sounding horror, campfire horror story kind of thing. Right. And the twist uh, on it is that it's for Vern. the approval of the Midnight Society. <laughs> but it's not Vern, it's Vernon. But Vern's okay. full name is Vernon. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes he calls him Vernon in the ads. When he wants to like chastise Vernon, he's like, oh, Vernon. Or maybe Vernon is always called Vernon and Ernest is the only one who's like, Vern. That's possible. Oh, like, like I wish he would just call me by my real yeah, name. Yeah, like, this, this... he's like, my name is Vernon. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, he tells the story of like Vern saw a man with a hook hand chasing him in his car, and then the next day the hook was on the the uh, like the um, rearview window, and then they were like, "Shouldn't it be on the like the door handle?" Because I guess that's how the typical story goes. And Ernest is like, "Well, he hung it on the rearview like dice." So like he just ruins the story somehow. Like dice or baby shoes, I think. He says. Yes, yeah. he does say that. <laughs> but the the kids are aren't impressed by the story at all. No, because no. I think they've heard it before. And not only had they heard it before, he got it wrong. He got it wrong. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like, and it's so sad. And that's what leads into Chief Saint Cloud telling the story uh-huh. that we saw in the cold open. Mm-hmm. Yes, the tradition about throwing a. A knife and an arrow and a rock. It's the blade, the stone, and the arrow. I love that Ernest is the one that requests the story because he's like, Chief, can you tell us the big story? Yeah. I'm going to assume that's Ernest's favorite story. He loves the idea of you being invincible because you have enough heart. That is Ernest. Yeah. That's why Ernest connects to that story so much. Well, the three the three characteristics important to the story are faith, mm-hmm. courage, and heart, I believe. Go planet. And so the, the chief tells them the big story. He tells them about how if the braves had courage, then the knife couldn't hit them. The arrow 
can catch them and this it's a metaphor for perseverance through uh mm -hmm. life's difficulties which i think both the second chance kids and Ernest need to hear at this point in yeah. the movie although the chief means it literally oh sure sure no i know but uh, from a a macro uh film narrative perspective yeah. it's uh it's very telling and then Ernest compares it to rock paper scissors and everyone looks <laughs> at does. him like he's, he's so happy to come up with that comparison and nobody appreciates it Yep. I appreciate it, Ernest. That part was particularly bizarre because when he requested the story, it was as if he'd heard it a lot. It's like, oh, tell yeah, the yeah. story again. Was it just that telling that trigger? Like, oh, I get it. Rock, paper, scissors. No, now, I think time. he went home and thought of that. Oh. <laughs> and then was like, next time Chief tells the story, I got to bring, I gotta bring this up. This is my rock, paper, scissors. I figured it out. And then no one appreciates it. No one. So what happens next in the story? Well, that's right after the boys hear that story and they're kind of all pumped up and starting to enjoy life and enjoy Ernest. Uh, that's when it turns out that the other campers have burned down this project they've been working on very a, a hard to TP for a like some kind of campwide competition. And um, so you other know, campers burn down the teepee. Whose fault is that, Aaron? Uh, the other campers, I would say, Dave. Um, That's logic dictates well, I mean, that it's the fault of the other campers. Absolutely. Um, what does the movie tell us? Whose fault All is it? All Ernest's fault. Yeah, and uh, of course we have Mr. Tipton come back in being the Screw jerk you, that Mr. he is. Mr. Tipton. There's a point where Mr. Tipton is chastising Ernest. This is it, I think. And at the end of his chastisization... Uh-huh. That's a word. Oh, um, I know what you're going to say. He's saying whatever he's got to say to Ernest, and he's like, well, Ernest, I'm really disappointed in you. Know what I mean? Yeah, and screw I'm just that like, guy. I wanted to, to punch get him. Out. Yes, <laughs> that screen. is. You do not get How to do dare that, you? sir. You, you don't get to is, use "know what I mean" at Ernest. He has not earned that. No right. way. No. That's Ernest's word. Mr. Tipton, this is what he says. He says, "He says your boys are out of control. I can't have them here. I got other campers to think about, so they have other to go." Other campers who are lighting fires. Yes, and then. Ernest says, maybe I was a bad counselor. Aww. You're like, Ernest, no, you're not a bad counselor. He's just like, maybe I was a bad counselor, but it, but you shouldn't punish them because I messed up. And then Mr. Tipson says, Ernest, it's not really your fault. It's my fault. I thought you could do it. I was wrong. You know, I that said, I made said me want to punch the screen. I said earlier that Mr. Tipton really needed to take responsibility for his employees, but this is a way nope, where that's it's like, like a it's a yes, aggressive version of that. You know, it's Mr. Tipton is now negging Ernest. <laughs> He's the worst. He is terrible. But Ernest fights for a fifth or sixth chance. He does the math. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And gets, and gets another gets another chance, which like proves again his loyalty to these kids. Of course. Absolutely. This is what's really interesting to me is then then he goes back to the kids and he's like, they are all ready to ship you off, and then I stepped in and like he kind of brags about it, mm -hmm. but it's interesting because we always see that side of Ernest. We don't see the beforehand where he's actually trying really hard. Yeah. And like and and very uh, nervous and and Absolutely. sincere. You know, his bragging is just like, it is sort of a facade. Like, right. oh, he has sure. a tiny bit of success, and then he has to make it bigger because he's so not used to success. Absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, and so like, he manages to motivate the kids and, like, get them back on track. Absolutely. Do they rebuild the teepee? I don't remember. They start, yeah, yeah. and then everything goes to hell, Dave. <laughs> well, so in the background, again, as we said earlier, there's this whole mining operation yep. where... Uh, Mr. Crater is trying to take over the land that the camp is on. His lawyer has too good of a heart. He can't, you know, he can't do it in any other way. He's that's not going like, to strong arm the chief and right, put him he's, into a he's headlock. He's doing it by the books. He's, he's daredevil in it. Good for him. And so Crater decides to take matters into his own hands. He goes to Chief St. Cloud's, mm -hmm. I'm assuming his, his house? Yeah, yeah his uh, little shack house. And um, 
puts on this sort of posturing that's like, oh, I'm here to have you sign a... Uh, no, no, no. He tells the oh, chief right, right, the right, truth. Sorry. He's like, I'll give you 10% of right. all the profits, which is a lot. Yeah. But the chief doesn't speak English. Correct. So then Ernest comes in and he sign languages to the chief in the Kikiki sign language that his canoe is in the river. Which is where it should be, I think. <laughs> <laughs> the odd. Where, where, sure. So um, Crater notices that Ernest can speak to the chief. And then he tells Ernest that he lies. Right. And tells Ernest that he's actually trying to get everyone to sign a petition to like save the lake from miners. Right. This is what's horrible because Ernest is like, oh, I finally get a chance to do something useful that only I can do. Yep. I can use my powers for good. And Ernest, the guy sees er that. They see his earnestness. Ernest's superpower is that he is invulnerable in a cartoony way. Everyone else's superpower in the Ernest movies is to immediately see that Ernest is the one to take advantage of and do so. Oh. Assuming that they have uh, nefarious intent, that is. This is the worst. <laughs> it is. Because he had such good intentions and he was so pleased with himself that only he could do this. Yep. And, and immediately, yeah. those next scenes, just like Mr. Tipton going, well, I don't know what happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. It begins the downfall to the end of Act Two, where yeah. every, like, all of Ernest's world is collapsing. Oh. Yep. They're losing the camp. The, the chief has lost his land. It's the, all the craters his fault. Co craters coming in, and it's, it's all blamed on Ernest. We haven't made this reference yet, but we could call, like, this the impotence of being Ernest. Well, if it was up to me, Moose, you'd stay right here from now on. Is it up to you? No. This is all about Ernest's... He tries so hard for success. He's fighting for any kind of success, and it just all crashes down around him. Yeah. And maybe that's, maybe that's the general story of every Ernest movie, yeah. is that he is trying so hard for a modicum of success. Absolutely. <laughs> Oh, it that's just so depressing. Doesn't go his way, and he can't understand why. Is like he can never understand why. I mean, it's arguably not even his fault no. most of the time. No. Although he does get the most blame, I would say. So, Mr. Tipton's like, well, someone must have fast talked the chief into signing the papers. It's like, well, so Nurse Saint Cloud immediately susses out, like, well, literally the only two people who can talk to my grandfather are me and Ernest. Right. And. She immediately zeroes in on him, and he's just like, It's all a great big misunderstanding. I'll fix it up. Know what I mean? I'll fix it. You'll see. And it's not a funny, know what I mean? That's yeah. the saddest part. Like, it's like a, like... Nervous. <laughs> it's a nervous, know what yeah. I mean? He wants to fix it so bad that he gets a little haphazard in trying to fix it. Like, he always does. He rushes in, all emotions. It's that overconfidence again. Yeah. He, he, he sees violence as the way to fix this problem, I guess. He's always trying to prove himself. Yeah. yeah. That's the thing, in, in one way or another. And so now the only way he can think to prove himself is to just strong arm the whole mining corporation off the land. Right. Which is impossible. Correct. <laughs> but... This part really disturbed me. Yeah, this, this yeah. is what I was not emotionally prepared for. Ernest, he goes back to the boys and he's like, don't worry about it. I'm going to fix it. Nobody's going anywhere. And he gets all, he does his big theatrical speech about how he is going to that his his Save hands are licensed weapons <laughs> yes that's <laughs> and, a great line i love that line and he marches up to a gigantic group of miners. he goes i want to talk to the punk who is responsible for the actions of this company now and the, the largest man in the world stands up. <laughs> 
His, his arms are as thick as like Ernest's legs. Yeah, like, they're, he's huge. Yeah, that is a mountain of a man. Yes. Yeah. And then and I can't the, even talk about it. Dave, this is the part where Ernest is, gets the crap kicked out of yeah. him. I was I never in a million years again. This is like one of the last movies I watched in the order that I watched the Ernest movies. Oh sure. I was not ever not ever did I expect to see Ernest bleed. No, uh, certainly not. He is a cartoon. He should Never. not bleed. He, he should, shouldn't bleed ever. He should get knocked over and then like bounce back up and go like, boring. <laughs> yep. Every other instance of violence against Ernest, not violence, I guess, injury towards Ernest. Right. Bodily been, harm. Yeah, has been, the reaction by Ernest is more or less like, oh, that was weird. Like that was like a really odd, discomforting part. Mm-hmm. There was There was pain and there was discomfort, but there was never blood and never, it never felt like serious injury. It's like the difference between a bomb blows up in your face and you're like, face gets black with yeah. soot and you like kind of like stagger around or a bomb blows up in your face and, your and you are murdered. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's the difference. And there's blood everywhere. Like yeah, I didn't know that could happen to Ernest. I wasn't prepared for them to do that to Ernest. They just guy just starts beating the crap out of him. Yeah. It's so sad. It's like he's he's dizzy, he's disoriented and it's not in a funny way. It just looks like he's actually injured. Oh, and yeah. his 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 gaze is unfocused and he takes like these really sad like completely aimless swings cuz he still tries to fight. He's tried so hard. This movie we, is Ernest goes to try really hard. Ernest tries. So this hard. is the part of the film where I watched it with my girlfriend this morning mm-hmm. and she had to hide under the covers when oh, when the no. little kid when, when Moose runs in to try to help Ernest and grab the the man's legs, yeah, we were both worried that something really terrible was going to happen. He's not injured poorly; he's just kind of thrown away. But yeah. it, it was but the dire fact straight that you thought something yeah. could happen it was because Ernest was getting beat up yeah. so so like harshly and so violently. The guy kicks him in the stomach at well, the end. He's down. Of yeah. yeah, it he's was one. You won, dude. You can relax. <laughs> nope. Guy, relax. Also, you're gigantic. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, not a problem. I like this scene. Where, I like in that scene. There's a part where he turns around to talk to his friends. Like, if he does it, if he comes at me again, I'm gonna give him one of these and one of these. And Ernest comes at him, yeah, from... and he just slaps him <laughs> so like, nonchalantly. Like, oh, here you go, you slap him in the face. The entire time he beats up Ernest, he's laughing hysterically, which makes it even more sinister and gross. All yeah. the other construction workers are just watching and laughing too, and it makes it worse. Like, you guys are okay with this? Yeah, this potential homicide. Is yeah. It's like, oh, it's right so now. funny that. Ernest is being beat up, but that's and yet that's what we all do in front of children. All of a sudden, it's not funny. Yeah, uh, that's so sad. The kids are so disappointed. Yeah, it's. I had a little bit of a problem with the scene. Uh, Ernest injury aside, where I was just like, he has been trying so hard this whole movie. He keeps running out of ideas. It's like, oh, I'll try this. So maybe I can do this. Nothing works. Finally, he's like, well, I guess I could just like sacrifice my body. I'll physically fight for to save the camp, whatever it takes. And then that doesn't work. And then the kids are like, wow, Ernest, you really let us down. And I'm like, <laughs> really? Like he has given like his but- body and soul for you guys, and you. This is how no. They're disappointed no. because they because for a second they believed him. They believed I, yeah, yeah. they believed the facade. Sure. They've been like brushing it off. But now he does it and they they want to believe this time. This and, is a part of the chain where more and more people leave Ernest's side. He just yeah. becomes abandoned by, man by alone. every person. First the um the guy in charge of the camp does it. Then the kids do it. And then finally, the nurse kind of does it when he gets when he goes in to get his wounds treated. Right. Where she kind of has this offhand remark of like, you know, you did something really stupid. And it's like he knows that. No, no. She what she says is that was a brave thing you did. Almost makes up for the dumb thing you did oh, with yeah. grandfather, which is nice. Sure. Yeah. I think this at least brings her back onto Ernest's side, even if it was a dumb thing. 
like she at least is like, well, he tried. She sees the value in him. Sure. Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> but the, by the way, in this scene, Ernest starts crying. That's what I was going to say. It might not be. I might be. I might have gotten it confused because of his reaction to her. It ends up being his lowest point. It is. It's the end of Act Two. Yeah. So he's like at the at rock bottom. He is at rock and he bottom. He leaves the. He walks off out of the nurse's office defeated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because he because he's tried he everything. Nothing's worked. Because yeah. he doesn't know what to do. He he says like I had to, and then he stops and he says I could have. What does he think he could have done? Well, it seems that they needed a hero, and, and he, he wanted a friend. <laughs> <laughs> he gets beat up. His face is bloody. She turns to his wounds. He starts crying. Then it starts raining. Then he walks out into the rain and sings a song that my friend Elisa described as a song so sad the Muppets rejected it. <laughs> and no one knows the thunder is your heartbreak in disguise. They think the rainy nights what put that sad look in your eyes. When I was listening to it, it did sound like a Kermity kind of song. It, yeah, it does feel it, it's got that kind of like Rainbow Connection yeah. sort of vibe to it. it sings sure. the this, then this is the big song that gee, I'm glad it's raining because no one can see my tears. It's a Blade Runner. I was just gonna say, God, time to die. Is he known for musicality nope. at all? Okay, he's got a guitar in his room. That's yeah, all I that's know. What, yeah. when you brought that up, I thought, oh, maybe there's a maybe there's like a running thing about him being able to. Think. No, there's no like Ernest goes to rock. This is <laughs> this is this is a bit of an anomaly. Yes, it's like maybe the Disney was like they need a song. I, mean, I don't know. It feels like a Disney note. sure, but it works. Oh, oh my it God, does it work? Really works. Waterworks. I thought I had found someone I could count on till the end. What they wanted was a hero. All I needed was a friend. And it made me cry. I cried like a little baby, and I was angry that I was crying. I was upset that Ernest made me feel. And, like, <laughs> this is the thing. In the ads, we see Ernest, like, go over. He tries to impress Vern. He fails. Right. We don't see the part where Ernest goes home after the commercial and, like, sits <laughs> in a dark room and feels like crap. Correct. Because he embarrassed himself. Yeah. It's gut-wrenching. Oh, yeah. This is probably the most you ever feel for Ernest. At least any of the movies I've seen. This is, it's the worst I've ever felt for Ernest. And I don't have much experience with the character, but it felt like, yeah, it felt terrible. He tries so hard. <laughs> I don't that know. line kills me. What they wanted was a hero. All I needed was a friend. And he tried to be that hero because he needed friends. Ernest. Uh, so that's the end of the movie. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs> and uh, for our next episode. No, it can't well, be over. Well, no, luckily, it... we have a resurgence. We have uh, Ernest rises from the ashes. Yeah, to fight again. All due yeah. to Nurse St. Cloud, by the way, possibly like the real hero of the movie. Oh, I would argue absolutely she's who the runs, hero of the movie. Who goes over and berates all the, the second chance boys for abandoning Ernest. Right. She's like, he's like the only one that stuck up for you and he's losing everything he has. Yep. His job and home. Yep. I didn't realize he lived there. But he must be like the caretaker then. And she goes and she berates them and they feel appropriately like crap. And they go and they build Ernest up again. And they're like, come on, Ernest. It's the path of the brave. Like all the stuff he's been telling them. Yeah. You know, he gave them a speech earlier on when they, their teepee burned down. And he says, well, we'll build it over. And they're like, what's the point? And he says, the point is to do your best always. To always give it your best shot. Yep. Aww. So he needs someone to now 
take the lessons that he's taught and teach them back to himself. <laughs> Your face is in such a grimace right now. I'm I, I'm crying inside. There's no actual tears yet, gentle listener, but I'm like, I'm verklempt here. <laughs> but yes, they build him up. It's so nice to see him bounce back with Second that bra- bravado. Oh, yes, sure. it's like, mm-hmm. I, we might just get a little bit rowdy. Brave hearts. <laughs> Can we please play that song at this point? <laughs> so Ernest, um, he's got he's got his mojo back, his mm-hmm. groove back. What do you imagine he would do to save the Come day? Uh, yep. <laughs> Why not bombs? So I saw this as kind of a role reversal because uh, earlier. We have Ernest making all these contraptions. This time, the kids come up with an idea of how to how to beat Crater, mm-hmm. and it involves contraptions. And I think they go to Ernest as both their camp counselor and as a guy they know to be inventor. Contraption master Ernest yeah. P. Worrell. Because they're the ones doing the majority of the work. I mean, they're being directed, seemingly, by Ernest to... to, to yeah, he's delegating. The... Yeah, he, he becomes the leader that they always needed. Yeah. But he finally gets to put his talents and passions to use. Yep. His passion for leading, for molding young minds, as he says. And people finally put their trust in him. And uh, you know what, guys? It works out. It, it does. does. After a impossible amount of explosions. <laughs> <laughs> After they bomb the crap out of... <laughs> bombing works. Bombs work, too. Yep. That was, uh, that was frightening. It gets we go back a little bit uh, cartoony again, where there's just like you know, where it's okay that people are exploding. <laughs> yes, when it started, it it had that kind of you know those those standard tropes in all in all these kind of eighties movies where a ragtag group gets back mm-hmm. against the, the adults generally. Oh sure, yeah. Back, but in all of those movies, it tends to be like water balloons or <laughs> yes, you know, no. fireworks. Something you know, something really kind of like small and minuscule. Whereas this, they, not the deadly. First, the first thing they do is shoot flaming arrows. <laughs> yes. Well, not the first thing they do, but the first weapon they use. Correct. Is our flaming arrows. Yep. Which I was not okay and with. And it's a little bit uncomfortable, too, because it's like, well, apart from Giant Man. These are all. These are all just like. Yeah. They're just like picking up their paychecks, man. They got families yeah. to take care of. Like, they're just. They don't have like a vested interest in Crater's like agenda. It's just no. like, I'm going to work. Like, this is my job, man. I also appreciate that they steal from Crater during the montage. They, they use his own his smoke, own smoke bombs. bombs. Which why are those are critical bombs? for mining operations. You don't even know, Dan. <laughs> they steal the funny part about that shot is they pass by like things that say explosive to go into a room to take smoke bombs. Yeah. And then they end up using explosives as well. I don't know. It maybe really maybe Crater has like a side project where he's just like training ninjas. Oh yeah. You need, you need to be able to exit and enter buildings without being seen. That's actually where the other contraption that makes food. We totally forgot about Jake and Eddie. I forgot they're in this movie. They're they disappear for a while. They're long hardly period. in this movie. But then they come back and they also use their food contraption that was malfunctioning earlier. And they use it to throw food at these poor guys. I mean, it's said that they're trying to destroy all the equipment so that they can't knock the camp down. Right. And that seems to go okay until the big guy actually starts knocking the camp down. (laughs) Right. And this is the part with a running gag. There's a running gag throughout the whole film of a loose golf cart looking thing. Yes. This made me laugh. Every single time it came on screen, it made me laugh. Yeah, yeah. The timing of it is always good. I had the same reaction. I was like, this is not funny, but I'm finding it so funny. Yeah. I think it's it's always well-timed. It always happens at a time during like, there's either like an emotional high and then all of a sudden a golf cart just walks away. Yeah, yeah. There's like an emotional low and then just a golf cart is there. It just happens at these really, really well-timed parts of the movie. 
And uh-huh. I, it also it's memorable because it essentially becomes like this sort of foreshadowed joke in the beginning yeah. that essentially yeah, is all the way at the beginning. Chekhov's gun. Where Ernest end. is trying to unplug the toilet and you see like his arms, his triceps. All right, cool. Yeah, so the golf cart comes back. Yes, and so does Eggs Erroneous. That's right. So what happens is the the giant of a man yeah. gets in the last functioning construction vehicle, yeah, which like is a, bulldozer. a huge bulldozer, yeah. and he starts bulldozing down all the all the cabins. Mm-hmm. And so we see the errant golf cart come back in the frame because they have no way of stopping this huge bulldozer. And the leader of the of the misfit kids he has an idea to load the golf cart with explosions and ram it into the yeah yeah into the bulldozer. And they get all these uh, explosive equipment, including Molotov cocktails. <laughs> Did that yeah. happen? I didn't see that. They, two kids run up with wine bottles filled <laughs> with, with, with the paper <laughs> sticking amazing. out. Yoinks. Um, but they don't, it's not, whatever they have isn't enough. And then Ernest comes in with what he says is the most volatile substance known to man. Oh, that's right. Which is the eggs, eggs erroneous. erroneous. Yeah. Which apparently oh, are flammable. And then he drives the golf cart. This which is where I, he does his action roll. Which I, at first when he starts driving the golf cart, the, the other kids are like, no, you can't do it. And I thought, is he going to like. <laughs> yeah, suicide bomb. <laughs> suicide bomb. But he doesn't. He, he bails on the golf cart. The golf cart runs into the bulldozer, explodes. Huge explosion. Yeah. For a second, I feared for that man's life, that giant but the, man. But the explosion has a shot of the cabin and he's not in there. Right. Because he can't. Because yeah, that, would, he would, that would be terrible. Um, but then we see him come out and he's got a charred do. face. Yes, it's the, the former bomb type. Yeah, the cartoon bomb yeah. reaction. And um, and Ernest saddles up to the man, uh, rolls up his sleeves, which Aaron, I'm sure yeah, you enjoyed. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Um, and gives him a good punch right in the face. Yeah. His, uh, his uppins had come. His lowest point, he just becomes his highest point. It's Yeah, it's the George McFly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then... <laughs> Oh, this is the even weirder part. Because you think... You How think is this, this movie not over yet? You think at this point that it's like, oh, okay, Ernest has solved the problem. Yep. But but prior to this, there's a scene where while the turtles... Oh, we didn't even talk about the turtles. Uh, oh my God, the turtle power troopers. That's right. Yes. And the most subtle joke in history... Oh, I love that joke. I don't where, care what you say. Where they're playing the song Happy Together as a recurring thing <laughs> in this movie. Like they kind of sing along the, the uh, 60s song Happy Together, yeah. which is by the band The Turtles. There's a turtle through line that we haven't talked about. Yeah, it's uh, pokey. Slow and steady, man. Um, Oh, man. The other joke that's really great is when they cut to the turtles and the guy goes, I'm scared, Sarge. And it's the turtle talking. That's (laughs) right. And the other turtle goes, We're all scared. (laughs) That's right. It's great. That's the best joke in the movie. They launch the turtles, but while they're launching the turtles, one of the construction workers calls Crater and yep. says, they're, you know, they're, yeah. they're blowing everything up. Yeah. And he decides to grab his gun, and the lawyer joins in. Because bad guy. Because bad guy. And drives off to intercept yeah. Ernest and the kids. And so now after Ernest has his big triumphant punch on the- Giant at, man. On giant man. You know, he's wiping his hands off. He did his job. And all the kids are cheering him on. He's like, yep, did it. And he says, he says, like, the groundhogs are bringing them their mail. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> he he they're dead. It means they're dead, yeah. David. Oh, the underground. Yeah, the groundhogs are bringing the mail. Like, that's how Ernest says, uh, he's like, he's like, yep, I basically killed everyone. <laughs> like, I hope he means it in the sense that, like, they're done. I hope no one died. I don't think they did. But this is where Crater shows up with his rifle. Yeah. And this is where... Uh, we find out something that makes a lot of sense about Ernest as a character. Yeah, this is where the whole ceremony of the, what's it called? Of the, the blade, the stone, and the arrow. It comes back. I'm glad that you turned to me. Like, you're the, you're, you have this, right? <laughs> yeah, you're the authority. Dan, can you use your Native American <laughs> heritage to uh, fill us in? Guy takes a shot. Crater. Crater has his rifle, points his sight right at Ernest. 
Ernest comically runs we back and forth. Sight. Go yeah. right to him. There's a shot of the actual the POV yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. yeah, Ernest is ready to be shot to death. He's ready to accept his fate. Yeah, and I, I don't even know how to say these words. Um, are you saying that Ernest can dodge bullets, or are you saying that when he's ready, he won't have to? Yeah, he won't have to because <laughs> he doesn't dodge bullets. He just stands there. The guy shoots him, and nothing happens. Yeah, this is just where it becomes apparent that Ernest is now invulnerable to bullets. Yes, this is where we determined that Ernest gained his invulnerability to everything. This movie is where Ernest became sort of immortal. Maybe not not immortal, but unkillable. We never see him bleed again, and this is why we think. Yes, that's I have to make it make sense to my brain. (laughs) Well, it's funny because even in the movie, it doesn't make sense because the lawyer goes, he missed. That's impossible, or something like that. Yeah, a line like that. Because early in the movie, we we see Crater. He really hates those bottles. Effortlessly picking off bottles. Yep. And, uh, with his gun. He keeps getting closer and closer to Ernest. The last cut when they finally cut to him walk up to Ernest and Ernest plugged the the gun with his finger. Yeah. I didn't realize how close Crater had gotten to Ernest on the last shot. He's probably like less than ten feet away from him. It, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. point blank. And Ernest gets like more and more cocky. He gets more and more like, "Oh, I'm okay." <laughs> yeah, last one he yeah. dances. Yeah, <laughs> when it misses him, and then he plugs the gun with his finger, and Crater runs away. Yeah, I kind of expected Crater to shoot, and like the end of the barrel of the gun to like <laughs> burst open in like a flower yeah. kind of way. No, he just gives up. He's just like, "This is stupid." Like yeah. he's embarrassed. Later, Crater doesn't Ernest say something like paper or plastic or something? He's rock paper scissor. Amazing. Callback, yeah. <laughs> that part really got. Me. I like that one. I like that callback because it's a callback to a mistake. It's his version of the of blade, the stone, stone and the arrow, arrow. So, rock, paper, scissors. He so figured at this it point, out. Ernest has saved the day in every way except the way that matters, <laughs> because Crater still has the the legal document that says he can uh, mine mm-hmm. on the land. But then the leave real it, hero of the movie. Leave it to uh, Durst St. Cloud and. Um, Lawyer Weird Hair. Uh, yes, who, uh, the two most reasonable people in the movie. Yep, and they, they come in and basically exposit the problem away. That part is funny because she holds up a, a paper and she, what does she yell? What's it's like that? a restraining yeah, order. Yeah, she goes, something. We got a restraining order. And I'm like, to say that so triumphantly is kind of is really funny to me. <laughs> restraining order strike me as so like like evil. Right. Like, there's, there's clearly a nefarious yeah. thing going on before it. But she's but very she's happy. Like, like, yeah, we did. <laughs> well, you know, okay, come within 200 feet of me. And you know, she did try to stop Ernest. She was like, hey, we need legal help, Ernest. And he's just like, they ain't going to get this. And like, okay, well, okay. Ernest really has to prove himself. It's It's a very man moment. No offense, I guys. It. I get it. But I like, understand. I get Ernest. I understand. But then once she sees that's happening, she's like, okay, now I guess I have to do something. <laughs> maybe that's her impetus I'll for going fix it. and uh, seeking legal counsel. Maybe she wouldn't have if Ernest hadn't been exploding things. Sure. So she comes in. She's like, yeah, we got a restraining order. It's like, oh, okay, now it's okay. Now we're good. She's like, I'm not going to put out these literal fires, but I will put out the figurative <laughs> fire. <laughs> Through the uh, justice system of the United States. Yeah, and so there's just like a little time lapse, and we see that everything's uh, up and running again. Right. All the campers are back, singing Happy Together, the new camp theme, I guess. And <laughs> Legal action from the turtles pending. And Ernest is carrying a ladder. Looks good. Yep. I mean, it bookends the movie. We end as we began. But mm-hmm. Ernest is in the same place, but he's not the same. 
And then we get their first I'm so proud of you, Ernest, which I notice is a thing that happens a lot in these movies, is a woman will say to Ernest, I'm proud of you. Interesting. It's something I noticed. <laughs> I think it's because they can't have her be the romantic interest. They can't have him kiss or anything. Yeah, so it's this so weirdly like, maternalish. With... Yeah. Yeah, not, yeah, not quite not quite romantic interest. Interesting. But yeah, so she he's carrying his ladder and he puts it up and he's he's gonna fix the sign or whatever. Yep. And she she stops him and she's like, Hey, Crater's lawyer, who's kind of a cool guy, he admitted that they lied, so everything's fine. And he's like, Great. And then he says, The boys don't have to go back to the institute and the camp has a year round counselor. Which I guess means that Ernest is now counseling year-round and the boys live there? Don't worry about it. Okay. I assume he went from year-round groundskeeper to year-round counselor. Sure. I don't, yeah, know, I don't and, know what you do at the that, campground in the winter. Maybe right. there's like a cabin you can... That well, makes clearly he's, he's, all, he's also still the groundskeeper. Yeah. Because he's fixing sure. the sign. So, playing a lot of roles. A lot yeah. of Poor Ernest. He did fine. He's, he's of good. Of course. No, of course. He did great. Yeah. Dave, he did great. Sorry, yes. I did, did not mean to... <laughs> Diminish the accomplishments of one Ernest P. Worrell. And he goes up to fix the sign, and he starts monologuing again. Yep. I guess I'm just a take-charge kind of guy. A man of vision and of scopes. Know what I mean? This kind of works for me, that he's looking at the camera, but he's talking to some someone behind him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Falls off the ladder, and then to add to the gag, he then tugs at the rope that's still attached to the sign, and then the sign falls on him? Yeah. And everyone just looks at him and goes, oh, Ernest. <laughs> the counselor comes in and says, what happened? Uh, the chief mm-hmm. says, for the first time being subtitled, that he broke the sign. Yeah. And yeah. then the counselor says, at least no one got hurt. Yeah, and they all walk away. They all walk away. Ernest is hurt. He's very hurt. Well, but if we take the lesson that we just got from the previous scene away, Ernest is now invulnerable. yeah, yeah. So no one really got hurt. Nobody got hurt, yeah. Yeah, at least it was Ernest who was invulnerable to injury. Well, the movie actually ends with uh, my favorite joke, which is the golf cart coming back once more. Oh, that's right. The smoking golf cart just passes by. (laughs) And it doesn't really, it'd be funny enough if it just crossed screen, but it actually kind of swerves a little bit at the end, and that that swerve made me giggle, too. (laughs) I don't know, that golf cart really had a lot of, like, It's acting. In the same way that, like, Vern Vern as a camera is acting. It's like. The sentient props. Yeah, exactly. Sentient props are a thing in Ernest movies, actually. Oh, sure. We'll get to it. But yeah, that's that's Ernest. I almost said that's Ernest Saves Christmas. Wait, there's still one more part. Oh, no. The credit sequence. Oh, that's right. What's, wait, what's the credit sequence? That's where um, the two chefs. Jake uh, feeds Eddie the, the, the eggs. Egg, he finally creates perfects, the, perfects yeah. the eggs erroneous. Feeds it to, I don't know their Eddie. name. Eddie. Eddie. Feeds it to Eddie. And Eddie starts singing. He becomes like this Italian singer, dude. Yeah, this, yeah. This uh, uh, opera I have, singer. I have no memory of this. I mean, Ernest wasn't on the screen and I checked yeah. it out. I was just going to say. So that's, <laughs> that's Ernest Goes to Camp. And uh... How can we sum up Ernest in this movie? Dan, what did you take away from who Ernest is based on this movie? Who is Camp Ernest? Um, Ernest is... Ernest, like he, that, 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 that's a really good summation of his character. He tries really hard, and he's always honest in how he's trying. He may uh, become a little braggadocious this time, or a little overly confident, but it's always mm-hmm. um, it's coming from the right place. It's coming from the right place. It's coming from the heart. It's, he's always trying to help people. He's never trying to do it for his own merit. Yeah. Even his goal in the movie is to get into a position where he could help others and guide them to a to a better place. I think also it's like he wants people's approval, but he also wants to show people that their faith in him is not misplaced. That's it. The thing yeah. is, like, he wants their approval to be a result of having proved himself. He wants to feel like he did something good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He achieves that. And none of the things that he gets wrong is because he's dumb. One of the um, second chance kids actually calls him dumb. 
and the nurse corrects him. I think the movie takes, right. takes yeah. great strides to, to make sure that you don't perceive him as dumb. Yeah. You perceive him as possibly misguided in terms of his inventions. That's interesting. But never dumb. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, how can we sum up Camp Ernest? Probably the least cartoony Ernest. Yeah, still cartoony, but very grounded in reality and susceptible to all the things that we as audience members are susceptible to. Probably the most vulnerable in an emotional sense. Sure. Maybe he's not the most vulnerable compared to other Ernest, but the most vulnerable in that we see him at his lowest point, I mean, more vividly than perhaps any other. I can't imagine him ever hitting rock bottom more than he did in this movie. Yeah. It and... struck me it struck me as a very pointed choice because he comes from this commercial world, so we have to not only make him grounded, but we have to get him really down low to this bottom this rock bottom point. So we don't see him as this outlandish cartoon character. We see him as a real person we can relate to. And a hero in some ways. Yeah. We'll just keep uncovering every Ernest in the pantheon of Ernest's. Yeah, this was this was interesting to see having seen other Ernest installments mm-hmm. beforehand and it explains a lot about where Ernest comes from, and it explains a lot about where he kind of goes later, uh, for better or for worse. How so? I always felt like there was like a missing piece that got us from Ad Ernest to film Ernest, mm-hmm. and since I had never seen this like first thing, it was like kind of the missing link for this me. This feels like a logical progression to yes. you? Yes, yes. Okay, we'll continue to unravel the mystery, the enigma that is Ernest P. Worrell. Thank you, Dan, for joining us. No problem. Thanks for helping us unpack this. I hope I added something. You sure did. Absolutely, yeah. A pair of fresh eyes and Ernest is always, always valuable. What's happening next time? Christmas. Yay, this is my favorite Ernest movie. I would argue the best. It's also my favorite movie about Santa Claus. Okay. Yep. Uh, but so if you have any questions for us about uh, Ernest Goes to Camp or Christmas, uh, you can send them our way at ErnestGoesToPodcast at Paganomation.com. Join our Facebook page or like and follow our Facebook page. Uh, you can also find us on Tumblr. And Twitter. Every one of the social medias. We will be back to talk about Christmas right on time for spring. Getting in the, the holiday mood. Put on your sweaters. I am one with the Yuletide. I know what you mean. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next time. Viva la Varney, Dave. It's raining I hope the morning sun Won't come up soon As long as it keeps raining No one knows My heart broke Right in two